You're listening to the World Watch Weekly Podcast by Open Doors Canada. The goal of this podcast is to help you pray for your persecuted family. Since 1955, when Brother Andrew went behind the Iron Curtain for the first time, Open Doors has been strengthening persecuted Christians where faith costs the most. For more information about Open Doors Canada or about the World Watch List, please visit our website at www.opendoorsca.org. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome back to the World Watch Weekly Podcast. I'm Andrew, and with me as always is Jared. We are happy to bring to you a special episode today. Today we have a special guest, Helen Fisher. And Helen has tracked trends related to women and religious persecution over the past decade and is the Global Gender Persecution Specialist for Open Doors International. Helen instigated and co-authored the Gender-Specific Religious Persecution Analysis Report from World Watch Research starting in 2018, and she has been invited to speak at the UN Special Rapporteur of Religious Freedom and other various government bodies. I actually first met Helen earlier this year when she joined Open Doors Canada in Ottawa to speak to a group of our parliamentarians. So thank you for joining us today, Helen. How are you? I am fine. Thank you so much for having me, uh, Andrew and Jared. It is so nice to talk to you, although I do wish it was in person again. Yes, uh, as do I. And it is great, but it's great the technology we have and how we can chat and talk about what is happening to our persecuted family. And so we want to jump right in, Helen, and start talking. And so uh, in recent years, Open Doors has brought to light that Christians experience persecution differently depending on their gender. Can you briefly explain to us how persecution affects men and women differently and and why recognizing these differences is important? Yeah, no problem. In fact, um, let me start with why it's so important to recognize the differences. And, And that's very simply because Open Doors is on the ground in over 50 countries around the world alongside persecuted Christians. And so the better we understand exactly how they're suffering for loving Jesus, the better we can strengthen Christians where faith costs the most. So as we try to understand how persecution affects individuals, we do see that it's very different for men and women. So for, for men, it's, it's qualified as being focused, severe, and visible. Whereas for women, we uh, qualify it as being complex, hidden, and violent. You can already hear there are some differences there. Um, to be more specific, in 2019, in the, in the report that we published, uh, across 50 countries, we noticed what was, we asked what was characteristic for men and women in that country as they suffer for their Christian faith. For men, it is physical violence, economic harassment, and incarceration by government. That's the top three. Whereas for women, it's sexual violence, forced marriage, and then other physical violence and forced divorce. So we see these these stark differences, and a lot of it is because Christian men and women are targeted where society gives them the highest value. So what are they valued for in their society? And what we see is that it's mostly their gender role in that context. So men are attacked as breadwinners and church leaders, whereas women tend to be attacked with regard to perceived sexual purity and family status. The thing is, the persecution of women, like I said, it was hidden. Um, In fact, it's almost invisible. 
Uh, I could give you a couple of examples of that. Whereas men are incarcerated by government in 66% of the countries as a characteristic um, persecution tactic, women are incarcerated by their family in 60% of countries. So it's really clear which one of those you can go and advocate against. If they're in prison by government, then we can do something about it. If they're being incarcerated by their family, it's very, very difficult to do something. And also, this kind of religious persecution really mimics normalized injustice against women. So it's almost invisible in the context. It's kind of like a chameleon. It's really difficult to spot unless you know exactly what you're looking for. So it's, it's really quite different in the two, but, and let's be you know, very clear again, they're both targeted because of their Christian faith. So being targeted um, for, for one's Christian faith is, is a common theme, but at Open Doors, we often use the term referring to women as being doubly persecuted. So could, could you explain what that term means and why that's true? So this question really gets to the difference of why we have these two different um, trends, if you like. Very simply, persecutors are agents of opportunity. So if persecutors can see a way to either punish or coerce Christians without any risk to themselves, then they'll use that avenue first. So in our top 50 countries of Christian persecution, there are often significant social, economic, and legal differences for men and women in their context. So these are differences which make all women more vulnerable by allowing them fewer rights, freedoms, and protections. So for example, violence is normalized or a woman's voice in court is only worth two thirds of a man's voice. So we're talking about very serious things. We're not talking about whether you enjoy your meal using a fork, chopsticks, or fingers. Um, and these social and economic and legal protections that don't exist for women make all women more vulnerable. Now let's bring that into the religious persecution dynamic. What makes Christian women doubly vulnerable is that they're also part of a religious group which is specifically subject to persecution and often also has fewer rights, freedoms, and protections. So the result is that Christian women are the most vulnerable portion of an already vulnerable religious group. So we say that they're doubly vulnerable. Um, and, and now with COVID, we can actually talk about compound vulnerabilities for Christian women because you add that layer of COVID on there. For example, um, one of the, um, there's a, a woman in Ethiopia who we have come alongside recently, and she's just one of hundreds of women who have been widowed for their faith. Uh, so Ibebu's in Ethiopia, and uh, she has already been in a very difficult situation because her husband was murdered because he was a Christian. She was left with eight children, and it was very often her church, which, had, which helped in order to um, make sure that the children had enough food to eat. COVID has hit them particularly hard because as a woman, she doesn't have um, any uh, kind of income earning activity. She has to keep taking care of all of these children and she's supposed to um, go and wait in the lines for food. But 
as a Christian, she's not being given that aid. So she's got this kind of accumulation of vulnerabilities. And, um, and that's why Open Doors has been stepping in in this, in this context. So I don't know if that helps a little uh, to yeah. kind of get the picture. Most definitely. Uh, you mentioned earlier uh, that uh, family status is often a target when it comes to the persecution of women. Can you share some examples of what that looks like and how it affects women, the family, and the community? Yeah. So this is something that is, um, is where something that's supposed to be really good actually gets used for something that's very difficult. Um, obviously, we all, um, you know, kind of aspire to uh, have loving relationships, probably to be in a family. And un unconsciously, we give more status to people who are married or who have more children or maybe in some societies who have sons. Uh, and, and we might also give more status to somebody who is married to a really wealthy man or a really beautiful woman. Well, that giving of status and, and saying, ooh, I'm somehow going to treat you differently or view you as more valuable because of that is a quote-unquote strength that actually becomes a vulnerability. So we've already said that for men, if you can look at him and say, ooh, he's really wealthy, you know, he'd make a good husband, then if you attack him as a breadwinner, you're undermining the family there. For a woman, if you say that her value is that she's beautiful and is well married, she is um, holding the honor of the family in her um, moral purity and her ability to pass on good moral uh, instruction, then anything that can be viewed as this, uh, by the society as tainting that will actually bring down what's perceived as giving her value. So if she is sexually attacked, then that will dishonor her um, in the community, which means it dishonors her family. Her family may then say, actually, you know what? Your shame is kind of, like COVID, um, it's, it's, it's contagious. We need to distance ourselves from you. We, we're basically going to remove from you your family status as a wife, as a mother, as a good moral character. Even though she did not of her own volition choose the act which took place. And because she loses her family status, then she no longer has that protection of roof. She has, no longer has that protection of good income and food. Uh, and these are in societies where she probably wasn't given a good education. So it's not like she can go off and live on her own and earn her own living. We might think, you know, uh, North America, we'll, we'll just, you know, fine, I'll go live my own life. Well, it's not really possible in these contexts that we're talking about. So by undermining her family status, then, um, then really she loses her place in society. And, um, and we've just had a really stark example uh, in one of our Asian Muslim countries where, um, where a young woman was, um, and this is, this is slightly different, but she was um, picked up on her way home from work and, um, and she was uh, actually um, taken and she was abducted and this abduction 
took her into a forced marriage, and forced marriage is an attack on family status, if you like. Forced marriage is saying, we're going to not have you have the family status of Christian wife and mother, but we're going to forcibly take you and give you a status of, in this case, Muslim wife and mother. And that's another form of attack on family status. So there's a story um, uh, uh, that's pretty big in open door circles of, of Leah Sheribu. And mm. November 15th of this year marks a thousand days since she was abducted by Boko Haram as a 14 year old. Yeah. And, and to this day, she remains in captivity because of her faith. Mm. And, you know, her story is, is a little more well known among Christian circles, but it's not it's not a unique story. And mm. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about um, what you're just talking about, about abduction and, and how that affects Christian women. Yeah, there is just unfortunately so much that can be said on this uh, topic. And Leah Sharibu's case is one that really illustrates it. Um, unfortunately, the year 2014 was an extremely unfortunate year of awareness for the global Christian community regarding the targeting of Christian women for abduction. We saw the so-called Islamic State uh, capturing women in Iraq and Syria. We saw um, hundreds of young women who were kidnapped in Nigeria by Boko Haram. And this was just the tip of the iceberg. So when we say tip of the iceberg, that's an ex that's an expression, but that actually means the visible part of a massive hidden phenomena. And so at the same time, we had reports in Egypt uh, saying that hundreds of quieter abductions of Christian girls were taking place. And um, we, have a, uh, we have partners in Southeast Asia who have just reported again to us. And, you know, they, they constantly do this, but it it's heartbreaking every time we have another report saying that they estimate that um, two girls a day are abducted because of their faith. So it's not a small thing. But let's let's step that step that back to um, to what happened with Leah Sharibu uh, as a as a case for us. Um, and we might ask ourselves, why are Christian women and girls abducted. Uh, and our research tells us that this is usually actually teenage girls. So we're usually talking about uh, teenage girls here. So why are teenage girls abducted? Well, without wishing to be, uh, you know, kind of, kind of too crass, uh, it's one of the very simple reasons is that women bear children. And every girl teenage girl who is abducted and uh, removed from the Christian population will very simply not bear children for the Christian population, but she can be made to bear children for another population. And it's a, it's a very simple numbers game of reducing, physically reducing, the future Christian population in an area. area. The other aspect, of course, is that women are nurturers of the next generation, and we pass on relationships and love and good practice, and we pass on our religion. Women um, are, you know, if you think back, who is the first person you heard about God and love and prayer and um, religion from? Well, for a lot of us, it, it might have been our mother. For others, it will be both of our parents. 
But our, our mothers play a strong role there, especially at younger ages in a lot of our, um, our kind of um, setups. And then the third one I've already referred to of why Christian girls are abducted. And it is about the honor of the family. It's the misguided understanding that says that a girl carries the honor of the family. Uh, which is, of course, not at all in the Bible. Uh, it's, uh, God has a very different, God is, he has given us um, an understanding of the Christian faith in the Bible, describes very different notions of honor. But in a lot of societies, there's the idea that if you can do something to the girls and the women of the family, then you have actually done something to their God. So abducting girls is a very common way of trying to um, really diminish the Christian population. And this is something that Open Doors has really brought to the world's attention through our gender-specific religious persecution reports starting in 2018. But we have been really delighted to see other organizations um, doing research on the back of that. And we just have seen some really important research done in the UK by Dr. Uh, Marise Tandros, and she's just written a uh, considerable paper called Invisible Targets of Hatred, Socioeconomically Excluded Women from Religious Minority Backgrounds, and this talks about sexually motivated, uh, sorry, ideologically motivated sexual grooming of women and girls from religious minority backgrounds, and so this is also talking about the fact that sometimes uh, Christian girls are not abducted forcibly, but sometimes they are very deliberately enticed into that same sort of sexual slavery situation, right. but it's done more deviously than the abduction that Leah Sharibu uh, was subject to. So that's just a, uh, it might seem like a lot, but that's actually quite a brief overview <laughs> of, um, of the, the kind of uh, general phenomena. Yeah, when you when you say it's heartbreaking every time you hear an, an updated stat, I, I I can't I can I fully understand that. You know, mm -hmm. I I often share the story of Leah Sherbu when I'm speaking with churches mm -hmm. or groups, and um, even though I tell it regularly, just thinking about what is happening to her and to other girls, mm -hmm. it, it often I, I break down, like I, I get, mm -hmm. I struggle to get through the story mm -hmm. and it, it's really heartbreaking to hear what is happening to our, our sisters around the world. Yeah. I mean, I was, um, you know, I, I, I look at Leah and I was in, um, I, I was in Nigeria uh, a little under two years ago meeting with Leah, one of uh, Leah Sharibu's best friends. And it really brings home the fact that uh, a, a person like Leah Sharibu, she could be a teenager in any one of our churches. You know, just picture that girl in your church. She's 15, 16. She's got her life ahead of her. She's mm -hmm. blooming into this marvelous Christian woman. And then, boom, she's taken away. All of that life promise that was before her, that flourishing of her spiritual gifts and that beautiful person is all of a sudden being viewed really just as a, as a, as a beast almost, you know, just as an object and uh, removed from the Christian community. And, and that is just so hard to really wrap our heads around. 
Uh, and it's also really hard to wrap our heads around the fact that um, not only will that happen, but other girls, and I, I'll, I'll come back to this because it's also happening in Nigeria, uh, other girls are deliberately seduced away from their communities. Um, they're fooled, they're told lies, seduced away from their communities, and then also find themselves in the sort of false marriage, sexual slavery sort of situation. And again, it's that tremendous loss to the community um, and to the future church. So a really heartbreaking story. I think one of the amazing things in the story of Leah Sharibu is the way that she has been given, uh, you know, we hear reports of any number of opportunities that she has had to just say that prayer that says, okay, I'll, I'll leave my Jesus behind and I'll adhere to this other religion. And then she would be free and she has refused to do so. I mean, that is an, a love for Jesus and a commitment to Jesus that really surpasses most of our imaginations. Um, and I, I know she's upheld by the prayers of thousands, if not tens of thousands of Christians around the world, but really that is a tremendous witness to the fact that no matter what anybody's doing to her, uh, what Jesus is doing for her in that situation is above and beyond all of that. Mm -hmm. Amen. Uh, and speaking of, of prayers, uh, for our listeners on November 15th, which as Jared mentioned earlier, marks a thousand days since Leah was abducted, we are hosting a special uh, live video on our Facebook uh, for Leah and other abducted women. And, and so we would love for you to join us on Facebook and check that out and pray along with us mm -hmm. uh, for Leah and, and many of our uh our sisters around the world who have been targets of, of abduction and violence uh, because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Mm. Now, there have been cases, I mean, you mentioned 2014, and uh, when I think 2014 and abduction of women, I think of Chibok mm -hmm. uh, and the Chibok girls. And I know that um, many of them are still missing. Some of them have returned and Open Doors is involved with women who have experienced uh, many of these things with trauma counseling. And I know that you actually have some experience. Uh, you've been on the field with some of that trauma counseling. Can you tell us a bit about why that's so important, what that's like? Uh, Helen, could you do that? Yeah. That's, um, that's a really important aspect of the work that we do in Open Doors because there is only so much that you can do to prevent uh, this sort of uh, abduction or attack taking place. So really what we end up uh, doing is saying, okay, if it happens, how do we then come in as a healing presence, as a constructive presence, as uh, a presence which can rebuild the church? And so I had an opportunity to do that a number of times with the church in Central African Republic. Now, I live in France, and so I speak French, and that was uh, a really obvious uh, place for me to go. And so I went back uh, quite a few times to Central African Republic because they were experiencing in, uh, especially severely in 2014 and then continuing even to the present day in different parts of the country, um, a, a real um, 
sectarian conflict. And at that point, the Muslim extremist groups from the north were sweeping down through the country and really went and had an, uh, an approach where they would um, basically kill the men and uh, sexually assault the women in terrible ways and leave the children completely traumatized as well. And so we went in with trauma care programs uh, not just because of the uh, tremendous violence of these attacks that the women were survivors of, but because once they had uh, experienced these attacks, they were then being rejected by their communities. Their communities didn't know that actually God didn't require them to reject these women, that was their understanding. And so these women were experiencing what we call a compound trauma. Uh, so it's this accumulation of um, pain and rejection and hurt. And so we went in and worked with these women and worked with their communities to give them safe spaces to tell their stories, to give them safe spaces to talk to each other, to know that they're not the only ones. We looked through the Bible together to see where there have been instances of exactly this happening in the Bible before and what we see God's teaching is on it and looking at all of the love and healing that God offers and uh, just walking with them through the journey. And um, that's something that is an incredible privilege to do. And especially over a period of time, I think one of the, um, <laughs> the best things that happened to me was when I uh, went back uh, because I saw some of some of the women I only saw once because we were traveling around the country. Some women I got to see every single one of my trips. And one of those women I uh, went back and saw on the last trip. And when she first walked into the room, I didn't even recognize her. And she said, she said, it's me. <laughs> I, oh my goodness, you look so different. And she says, Mama Elaine, I need to tell you something. Okay. And she was incredibly abrupt, this, this woman. She says, Mama Elaine, I have an extremely important message for you. I looked at her as she held my shoulders. And she said, I need to tell you, I don't need you anymore. She said, God has <laughs> healed me. God has given me an ability to support myself, and I am now leading and helping other women. Well, <laughs> I just about, I just about, you know, lost it right there. I, I couldn't believe it. And uh, it, it's, it's, you know, you, you know God is at work. You know God is at work, but to see it in somebody's life is the most beautiful thing in the world. So it is something where it makes a difference. And then when that survivor goes and she gives her testimony, when that survivor goes and helps other women who are hurting, when she is involved in the church again, then we truly display the character of God and especially the reconciliation and healing and restoration that you find in Jesus Christ. So it's an incredible work to be involved in. It takes a lot of time and courage and it's, it's, it's very painful. But Open Doors is committed to the long term with persecuted communities. And so we make that investment to go back over and over again. Well, Helen, thank you so much for sharing that and for your work uh, with persecuted women. And I wonder if you could tell us a few ways how we can uh, pray for our persecuted sisters around the world. 
Yes, as uh, as we uh, all pray for them, and especially on uh, November 15th, as you pray for the persecuted women of the church, there are a couple of uh, key points to keep in mind. So one of them, we'll just um, say right up front, you know, uh, protect the girls and the women who currently are safe and sound in their Christian families. You know, we, we do pray for God's hand of protection upon them and uh, that no harm will come to them. But Jesus told us that persecution will come. Paul told us, we know that this is going to happen. So for persecuted women, please pray that they would never lose the knowledge that God sees them and loves them and mm -hmm. one day will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Also, please pray that God will bring to our um, awareness women and girls and their families that we can come alongside and help that we can do trauma counseling. We can give them support. We can give them the aid and training, whatever it is they need in their hour of um, need. We've said that often the persecution of women is hidden. So we pray that God would reveal to us our persecuted sisters who uh, have not felt they could come out and even seek the help that they need. Um, and then finally, please pray that um, in all of these things, God would use for good what has been meant for evil, what was meant to destroy, that actually God would use that for good and to glorify himself. Okay, well, let's do that together right now. Let's pray. Wonderful. Gracious Father, we thank you uh, for Helen and for the work that she's doing in working with our persecuted sisters around the world. And Lord, there's so much heartbreak and so much grief that we hear about, but we thank you that you are um, a God who is full of love and full of grace and full of mercy. And Lord, we would take this opportunity now to pray for all the women who are experiencing persecution because of their faith and persecution because of their gender. Lord, it's, it's hard for us to grasp sometimes that the pain that this brings. But we pray that these uh, women who are victims of such violence and such harm would know how deeply you love them and that they would feel a sense of value and a sense of worth uh, because of your love and because of how, how deeply you care for them. Lord, we're so thankful for Helen and those who do, uh, do the work with these sisters. And we pray that you would continue to give them strength and courage in the midst of it all and reveal to them the ways that they can help. Lord, we know sometimes it's uh, it's hard to deal with persecution that uh, is almost shrouded under invisibility in a lot of ways, but we ask that you would uh, give uh, give them a sense of, of clarity of what needs to be done and that these situations would uh, would come to light and that there would be opportunities for healing and reconciliation there. Lord, we just pray that you would do a work in the midst of these uh, these terrible, tragic situations. We ask that your Holy Spirit would make something good and something beautiful out of what was intended to be evil. Lord, we know that uh, because of your son, we can come into a right relationship with you. And so we pray that this would become a reality for all those who have been subjected to, uh, to hurt and to violence. We pray for, uh, for dignity and for healing and for mercy and love to fill their lives. And we thank you again for those who are working uh, with our sisters. And we pray that you will bless their work and 
give them um, give give them courage and give them wisdom in all that they have to do. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. 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 Helen, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed today's episode, we would love for you to like, rate, and review the podcast. Subscribe as well. And uh, make sure to follow us on uh, social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Open Doors Canada. Thanks for listening. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to this episode of World Watch Weekly from Open Doors Canada. For more information on how to pray for our persecuted family, please visit our website, www.opendoorsca.org. Click Get Involved and then click Prayer.